Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Today in the return of our Life Stories theme of interviews, I'm talking to Frank, co-founder Andrew Block. To those of you that are surprised Andrew hasn't been on the show before, I can confirm that I checked and he definitely hasn't. Um, he's in the category, frankly, of one of those guests that I've been saving up. Um, as many of you will know, Andrew co-founded Frank PR in 2000 and it grew to become one of the UK's largest consumer PR shops with a fee income of approximately 8 million in 2019. He recently left the day-to-day running of the firm and is a non-exec act, Frank, currently, um, with a, and also has a, a number of other roles, which uh, I've no doubt we'll talk about on the podcast. Before we start, just an update about the Piermont Awards. The London Awards will be on the 2nd of September, and the Manchester Awards on the 22nd of September. As you know, both of these events have rolled over from March, and we had to postpone them at the start of the COVID crisis. In terms of the format, these will either be a hybrid virtual and actual event format, where we hold a live event and stream the content to individual and company-specific parties, uh, and that will no doubt go alongside a fair bit of alcohol-induced user-generated content. Or, and this is where it could get exciting, the other plan is to hold an actual physical event where we will all be able to meet up again, albeit with a reduced capacity and to the required social distancing regulations. So we will let you know just as soon as we have more info on the government's rules and plans for September. Thank you for all your patience. We really appreciate it. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Now, we'll come on to your career story later, shall we? But should we just come straight up to date? Um, Why did did you decide to leave Frank? Uh, Good question. I've asked myself quite a few times. It was a cliched as it sounds like really really tough decision but Frank was sort of 20 years in in a really good place um, great management team on board doing good work had a really good run of great new clients and it just I think felt like the right time it's something that we'd been planning for a while so it wasn't a kind of get out of bed and decide to do it decision um, and it just, it just, it just felt right. I, I felt like I was ready for a change. I think Frank is in great hands. Doesn't necessarily need me there every second of every day. Um, I'm pleased that I'm still involved with the agency. So I'm sort of taking on this non-exec role. So still involved in, you know, some of the big decisions, board meetings, that kind of thing. But day to day, it's freed me up from client responsibilities, staff, staff, you know, all, all the stuff. Sure. Um, the, all, all that yeah. fun bit. Because, um, I, I mean, how long have you worked with Graham? I can't, it was well over 20 years, isn't it? 25 yeah, years? Yeah, about 25 years. I met Graham. Um, so how did you tell him? How did you tell did you? Did, did he know it was coming or did you ring him up one day? How did it work? No, I... Um, when I was, well, I was actually trying to get into the ad industry, which was incredibly hard. No, no, that's why I meant when you, when you left, when you told Graham that you were leaving Frank this time. Oh, God, when I told, look, it wasn't a great surprise to him. I mean, I think when Graham stepped back a couple of years ago, you know, I did consider it doing, doing it at that moment in time. I couldn't really imagine what it would be like not to work with Graham side by side, but... 
I think, you know, well, a combination of things probably would have been a bit too much for Frank Frost both to step back. At the same time, I think there was a part of me that thought it'd be quite interesting to see what life is like without Graham sat next to me for 10 hours a day. Um, and I don't think I was quite ready, but, you know, we'd dis you know, continued to discuss it over the years. So it wasn't a great, I mean, he was the one that was least surprised by the news. It wasn't really news to him. Right. Um, so what do, you, what, what do you know? Are you sort of in semi-retirement? What, what's the plan? No. Um, well, the original plan was to sort of take the summer off, spend some time with my boys, go away. Um, that hasn't really worked out to plan. So I've sort of, it's an interesting thing. I didn't leave with a set sort of plan in my head. I knew the kind of things I wanted to do and... I don't know, probably more importantly, the kind of things I didn't want to do, but I didn't have this kind of master plan, sort of stepped back, announced it, and then my phone started ringing and these opportunities started to emerge. And, you know, I've grabbed the ones that are interesting for me and I've ended up in a place where probably got, you know, more than enough to be getting on with for the time being. But for me, it was, it's, it's definitely not retirement. It, there was a work-life balance element to it. And I wanted to be in control of my time, which I'm not sure I necessarily am. But the theory is that I can kind of pick things up and put them down with a bit more control than I used to have. Yeah. And you're still working for Lord Sugar, is that right? Yes, still working for Lord Sugar and all of his various companies and, you know, keeping me as busy as ever. So, yeah, I'm pleased to have sort of... I think I, I think I called you the other day and, and, and I, 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 I caught you in the middle of writing a press release, which was, was that the first time you'd, you'd done that for a little while? Yeah, it's sort of strange. I mean, one of the things, you know, that I knew I didn't want to do was set up another agency. So um, with the Lord Sugar sort of work, I've obviously led on the strategy and the the thinking bit, but hadn't done too much of the doing. And we had an announcement we had to get out um, earlier in the week, and suddenly I found myself sort of writing a press release and and speaking to media. And I actually loved it, to be honest. I was a bit not scared, but like, do I still remember how to do this? Um, which I can confirm, I do still. Remember. Yeah, it's always quite fun when you sort of get back on the tool, so to speak. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. It probably took me ten times as long as it would take an account exec to do the same job, but um, got the results. <laughs> He's happy, so that's the main thing. It was the world's most expensive press release, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, no comment. So you've had a um, just looking back now in your career. I don't want to spend too long um, on the the early bit, but I think it's quite interesting for people who don't know the story. Um, do you think you'd have had such a successful career if you hadn't ended up at, at Lynn Frank's PR from, what was it, 95 to 98? Yeah, no. Um, I think you always need a bit of luck. And where I was lucky, I mean, on a, on a number of levels, but firstly, I didn't really know what PR was. You know, I ended up at Lynn Frank's essentially because I was frustrated with not being able to get into the advertising world, which is where I wanted to be. I think secondly... You know, with hindsight, I look back at Lynn Franks and my God, what an incredible agency that was. It was a completely defining PR agency of, of its era. And that was pure fluke. You know, I could have ended up anywhere and I ended up there. 
And then thirdly, I met Graham and, you know, we didn't know each other at the time. He was, I think when I started, he was a board director and then he went on to be managing director in my time there. But we just connected and clicked and, and you know, even as a really junior, I started doing unpaid work experience. I sort of grabbed his attention and we gravitated towards one another and, you know, I owe him everything in terms of where my career has gone since then. So, yeah, incredibly, incredibly fortunate to have landed up an agency like that and made many, many friends that I'm still in touch with today who have all gone off in various different directions within the PR world and achieved great things. Yeah, well, I was going to come on to that later, but we, we, in the pre-show call, we chatted about that. But come on, just give us, it's quite a role of honour, isn't it? They, were they all, what were they? Were they peers of yours at Lynn Franks or just people you knew? Yeah, I mean, the sort of class of 95 that I started with have, have just done amazing things. I'm now going to forget loads of people, but um, there's Jim Dowling, who's now head of comms at Apple, Julian Payne, who is looks after the PR for Clarence House and for the Prince of Wales. Um, there is, who else is it? Simon Oliveira, who was David Beckham's PR and now runs um, Kin Management Agency. Um, Charlotte Hickson, who went on to work for 19, and Simon Fuller and did the PR for Spice Girls and then set up her own agency. Um, Helena Fisher, who's um, now looking after the marketing for Tropic Skincare, which ironically is one of Lord Sugar's businesses, but was, you know, senior levels at, at Talk um, and then at various other agencies. Dave, all, I mean, I know you've got plenty of mates who work in agency, but all the guys you just reeled off their work, work and now have big in-house roles, yeah? So... You must, it's interesting you never did that. Were you, were you tempted at any point? You must have got some offers. Yeah, I was. I think, you know, the thing when, when you're in an agency, when you start off in an agency, I think I sort of almost had like the ideals of my dad, like job for life, you don't leave. And you make these friends and all of a sudden they're getting these job offers. And I'm sort of sat there thinking, am I the schmuck that's like staying and, and, and not going and Graham, Andrew. <laughs> yeah well I, I did you know I got offered there was a moment actually a few years into my career where I got offered a great job as head of PR for Sky and it was looking after the PR for Friends for the Simpsons which at the time was like a big deal and it was a really really good role and I remember talking about it with Graham because I had that sort of relationship with him he was the one that sort of said to me, don't do it. You know, you're, you're not an in-house person. You're an agency person through and through. And whether it was him telling me that or my own gut, I sort of knew he was right. And it was, it was hard to turn down. And there was other agency roles and various different things. But I've, I've always been a really big believer that the grass isn't greener. And it's very, very easy in the agency world to just sort of skip to the next role, get a few grand pay rise, get the next title up in the career rung. Um, but sometimes that's, that's sort of not the right thing to do. And the long game sort of plays off. And I've always believed if you found yourself in a place where you like the people, like the work, like the culture, don't be so quick to think that the next role is going to be better. Because, you know, essentially all agencies are the same, you know great bunch of clients, different name above the door, 
different great people. But if you've got somewhere that you found you like and they like you, don't be so quick to give it up. That's all. That's always been my philosophy. And but you know, I've I've seen lots of people go through numerous jobs and have fantastic careers. But equally, you know, my strategy of staying put and showing a bit of loyalty, I think paid off for me. I don't think I would have had the same career had I jumped to some of those early opportunities that I got. And when you joined, you left Lynn Frank, well, Ketchum, I mean, to give people a, a bit of a history lesson, Ketchum bought Lynn Franks. You stayed there for, I, I don't know, a, a couple of years or so. And yeah. then um, Graham wanted to set up Frank, having he'd been off doing a few few dot com. We're talking about Graham, Graham Goodkind, I should just confirm that. Um, who is the the other co-founder of Frank, or what came to be Frank? And um, that that point, you then went to well, Graham offered you, you didn't instantly jump, is what I'm trying to get to. You you took a bit of persuading to to join him. At no, I didn't instantly jump. I was happy at Ketchum, doing really well, um, enjoying it. Graham sort of came to me with this idea: let's set up Frank. I think originally. He was still quite heavily involved in a dot-com venture that he'd founded. And his plan wasn't really to sort of be there in the trenches running it day to day. He sort of wanted me to, to run it. And I just didn't feel ready. I'd, sort of, I'd, I'd been doing PR for five-ish years. And I just, just, just didn't think I was capable of running an agency. Well, it's quite and I, early, isn't it? It's quite early, five years in. I, I hadn't, early. It was I, really early. And, you know, I said to him, I, you know, just give me a couple of years. I'm not, not there yet, I don't think. I want to just get a bit more experience. And he, he said to me, I, you know, I'll never forget. It. You, know, you will never feel ready. And it's so true. You, you know, I don't think I would have ever felt ready. And so I went through this process probably a bit sort of negative in some ways of like what's the worst thing that can happen well, the worst thing that's going to happen is you know set up frank it won't really work and i'll go with my cap in hand back to ketchum or anyone else that will take me and i'm probably pretty employable so i'll just get another job and that that was sort of i don't know that that was the only way i could kind of process the risk but i was young and i didn't have a lot of responsibilities you know wasn't married didn't have kids didn't you know, some of the things that become bigger barriers to setting up an agency. And I think that was really good. I was still young, still hungry, didn't really have anything to lose, but, you know, certainly never looked ahead to the future and what Frank might have become. It was more like day-to-day survival and see how it goes. Uh, it's definitely much harder to set up a business when you um, w- w- when you've got those responsibilities of a mortgage and family and things like that, isn't it? It's it's a it's a bigger jump from a risk perspective. I think so. I think it is. You know, you you've got a responsibility to put food on the table. You've got bigger overheads, bigger expenses. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a risk involved for any entrepreneur, and I've got so much admiration for anyone that takes the jump, whatever stage of their life they're in and it's been great actually in the last couple of months to see some people launch agencies are probably one of the toughest ever times in history and it's you know hats off to them it's yeah. and brilliant but you know the risks you know, one of the things about setting up an agency is there aren't huge costs involved um you can get set up pretty lean and mean um so that barrier doesn't really exist. I think it's one of the reasons why there's so many agencies 
in, in the marketplace because the barriers to entry are relatively low. But you can't, I don't know, you, you, that shouldn't take away from the bravery of setting something up. But I would sort of say to anyone that's thinking of doing it, if you want to do it and your gut is you can make a success of it, just go for it. And just uh, go on, give, give us the, the highlights um, of the showreel of Frank's story. Oh, God, there's, there's been loads. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm never one that sort of stops and reflects that much. But having now stepped back, it's sort of in a way it forced me to just take that moment to look at the various sort of stages. But it really was an amazing journey. And we built the agency, you know, very quickly, um, brought on board great people to help us get there great clients, great campaigns over the years. You know, we sold the agency actually when we were relatively young, we were seven years into our life and that was another sort of excellent experience and we're still sort of owned by um, a holding company um, that acquired us and that, that worked very, very well. Um, you know, numerous awards over the years, including a few from yourself, so thank you for that. Um, which, you know, always nice to receive those accolades and that external praise. Um, but it's really hard to pick individual moments. Um, what was the, when you, you look back, what was the, I'm sure there wasn't one key to it, but I mean, what was the, if you had a couple of things that were absolutely central to the success of Frank, what would they be? Probably the fact that we created a strong brand and I think in a world where there are arguably too many agencies out there, having a brand that stands for something and we always have stood for creativity and the ethos that we created around talkability and that principle that you're, when you can get people talking about your campaigns, it does your best marketing for you. That always was, was really powerful for us people knew what type of agency frank was and i think probably one of the reasons for its success is we've been managed we've managed to evolve what that means over time as the media landscapes changed the agency landscapes changed as clients demands and requests have have moved on we've been able to adapt our offering but still stay true to those core principles um and the thing that you know always kept me awake at night was where's the next great campaign and as simple as it sounds you know if you do great work you attract new clients you attract the best people in the industry so i knew that it was really really important for us to never ever let the standard of our work drop and you know that's hard and being an agency you know i think the thing about the PR world is new agencies come on board, you know, week in, week out, and staying relevant and credible and respected as an established agency actually can be very challenging because there's always this temptation for brands to sort of go with the new shiny agency that's just launched the previous week. Um, and, you know, this, I think, you know, almost. I don't know if it's unique, but it feels quite unusual that you can be pitching one day against a shop that's set up the day before and also an agency with offices in 80 countries and thousands of employees, you know, for the same piece of business. So you have to kind of find your place and let 
clients know why it is that you're the right agency for them. And, you know, when we started, Graham and I as people are both pretty down to earth, open, honest. I don't think we're the sort of typical, sort of stereotypical PR type, if there is a stereotype. Um, and what happened almost accidentally by putting Frank above the door is it gave us that excuse to be honest with, with clients and give them the advice that we felt was right, not necessarily what they wanted to hear. And that meant that we attracted the right sort of clients and I, and I guess sort of deterred those who weren't probably right for the agency, but it enabled us to build the business with like-minded people, like-minded clients. And that was a real strength for us. Uh, just, just explain how you arrived at that. that. It's a pivotal moment for all businesses, agency or not, uh, of selling it after seven years or so, wasn't it? We, I mean, that's a that's pretty early, it, it, and and then selling. You then bought some of it back, in essence. Just, just talk us through, not in minute detail, but 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 the sort of the, the process behind all of that. Well, I was just to start with, were you looking to sell? Was that, were you- no, we weren't looking to sell. Um, when we were, I don't know, maybe five years old, people started to knock on the door and say, we'd like to buy you. And that was like pretty amazing. And, and um, how, how big was the business at that point, Andrew? Roughly, you know, it's long, a while back, I know. Oh, God. I don't know. I, I don't know. Five, six million pound income, something like that I actually can't remember maybe a bit less um, and it what we sort of realized fairly on when these companies were coming to us is that we weren't ready to sell there's a formula for selling an agency and it's essentially there's a you know a few different areas that they look at but it's really a, a multiple of your your EBIT your profit um, and we weren't making enough money to be in a position where we'd be happy selling. So that allowed us in our heads to sort of set a target of where we wanted to get to in terms of profitability before the numbers would become interesting. Um, and then once we got to that level a couple of years in, we started to sort of get ourselves ship shape and ready, for, ready to be sold, but we hadn't gone out there and put the for sale side outside the front door. Right. Just while we're on that topic, because I think it's really interesting for people to, to, to talk, to, to, to discuss that a bit more, the, the multiple of profit, I mean, that changes over the years, doesn't it? At one point, everyone was sort of going for seven. What, what do you think is a realistic multiple of profit for agencies? I don't know, should we just go pre-COVID, because now everything's up in the air again. But what, what was it? sort of last year as a guide you know I think it, it's completely dependent on the type of agency you are and, and what you're doing and there is a value to businesses that are either specialists or have that kind of trophy appeal of being a great name to add to a portfolio and you know what you're seeing now is the acquirers in the market there's there's lots of new ones you know the management consultancies that are getting in on the marketing services game that are looking to build their portfolios in the creative area. So some of the multiples are, are pretty high, um, but you've got to be the right business with the right proposition that fits that package of, of what they're looking for. Right. And so what happens you're in the right niche with a good brand and a good and, 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 and good clients and you're making good money, 
then it's are you, you going to put a number on it or not? Oh, I don't. I mean, look, I think you know anywhere from three upwards. So, but, th- uh, but I mean, I mean, it's not going to be ten, is it? You know, in terms of the the, the, the ratio. So, I, I I mean, it's I know it's I know it's how long is a piece of string, but I'm just thinking it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably somewhere between five. Six somewhere, somewhere, somewhere around that sort of level. Um, but you know, more technology-focused businesses are attracting higher multiples, and you know, it's actually an incredibly good time for mergers and acquisitions at, at the moment, as sort of strange as that may sound. So we got approached for us. You know, when you set up an agency, um, it's it's a hard thing to sell. You know, you've built this emotional connection with an agency, and that is much deeper than the sort of business connections. You want to find the right partners. And we got approached by a company called Anero, who were based in Australia. So immediately that felt like a good thing because they're on the other side of the world. Um, but when we met them and started talking to them, we realized that, that you know, they, they recognized that we'd built something good and they wanted to leave us to, to get on with it. Um, and that was a good thing for us. And when I look back at sort of the success of that acquisition, um, really most of that is due to the fact that they allowed us to keep our emotional connection with the business. And even though we'd sold it, it still felt like ours and, and still does, to be honest. And so there was a sort of initial purchase price and then there's an earnout period where you get rewarded for performance over over the post-sale period and when it came to the end of that period we had the opportunity to get back some of the shares in the company so now the directors of frank are shareholders again so that sort of relationship shifted where they're still the majority shareholder but we own a shareholding between us which has kept us all motivated and i'm still a shareholder in the business so um actually i've just recently taken an advisory position um, at an M&A company called PCV Partners. Um, And that is really exciting for me. And when I sort of started speaking to the founder of that business, a guy called Ben Doltis, um, what he sort of showed me that I hadn't really fully realized is that having been through the process of founding, selling, getting back some of the company, is an incredibly valuable asset for an M&A company to have because the decision to sell is, is so hard that I've found myself in this position now where I can advise other agency owners on the things to look out for. And, you know, everyone looks for, for different things. For some, it is just about the money. But for many people, there's lots more factors to take into account. So... I'm really, really, I mean, it's early days in terms of, of this role, but I'm really enjoying it. And then, you know, actually what they do is there's two sides to their business. So the bit that we're talking about is, is the sell side and finding, you know, these agencies that are looking to sell and, and helping find buyers. But the fairly unique part of what they do is actually the buy side of the business. So this is where you have the big holding groups and management consultancies who are looking to make acquisitions, strategic acquisitions. But they're not necessarily looking for the companies that have got the for sale signs outside the door. They're looking for companies that are off market, 
that probably haven't considered selling. And then that conversation with an agency owner that has an agency that is not sort of ready to sell or hadn't considered a sale is a completely different conversation. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting for me to get involved in these conversations to help find these firms and then speak to the owner managers of the businesses and, you know, convince them essentially why selling could be a great thing for them to do. Well, go on then. I mean, just from a, from the business owner's perspective, what are the, um, the advantages to to selling and what are the, and what are the, what are the potential drawbacks? I think look, for the business owner, clearly money is important and you can't ignore that. And it's a chance to capitalize on all the hard work, blood, sweat and tears you put into an agency. And, you know, depending on the deal, pay off the mortgage, buy yourself a nice car, you know, whatever you want, you know, it gives you that financial stability, which is an incredible feeling to have. Um, but you only get one chance to sell. So the most important thing really is considering the timing. And you don't want to sell too early where you haven't sort of built the company up to a level where it can go. And on the reverse, you, you don't want to leave it too long. You can, what companies are essentially looking for when they're acquiring is someone who's just starting off their growth phase or has a good growth phase ahead of them. They're not looking for the companies that necessarily, that where the owners are just sort of looking for an exit because they've reached an age where they're at retirement or the company's in decline and they feel like it's going down the pan to so get out while the going's good. They're looking for the companies that are doing really well, showing growth, but still have growth to come. So that timing bit is important. Um, the downsides are, it's, it's, it's less of a downside, I guess, and more of a watch out, is you want to find the right partners. You have to understand the intentions of the company that is looking to acquire you. You know, Are they looking to merge you into a bigger entity? Are they going to be really controlling in terms of how they run the company? Um, what's their reason for the acquisition? Is it a strategic acquisition? And also, you know, what benefit can that acquirer bring? Will it allow you to become part of a bigger network? Um, will it allow you to be able to expand your business geographically? All of those kind of factors are the things that you have to consider. And it, it's very hard to find that right partnership. And, you know, we've all seen lots of companies that have sold and lost their way um, for one reason or another. Um, but there's also been lots and lots of success stories. And if you get the right deal, it can be incredibly beneficial to both parties and achieve. One of the things I've never quite, uh, you said earlier there's this sort of management consultants um, potentially looking to buy PR firms and that type of thing. Is there not a danger that those types of firms like sort of, I don't know, dilute their profits a little bit more. They move into a into a field like public relations. Are they not making less less money per hour, in essence, than they are in management consulting? But I mean, obviously, they they've thought about that and they're looking to to buy PR firms. But it's just a query. I've never I've never quite understand why they're looking to do it in quite such a um, well strategically, if you see what I mean. Well, I think it's more about 
being able to offer their clients end-to-end services. So if you look at the big management consultancy firms, what they're doing is getting involved in businesses at every stage. So it's the consultancy at the early stage of a business, it's helping them set up a business. So, you know, a lot of these firms are acquiring technology businesses, infrastructure that will enable the setup of a business. And with the acquisition of ad agencies, media agencies, digital agencies, PR agencies, what they're essentially being able to do is compete at every sort of level of the client relationship. And I think that's why you know, the Accentures of this world have made such a big play into the agency world because it, it just means that they're not losing that client relationship at the stage where they've done the thinking and now it's time to do the doing. Um, and I you know, think the expertise of how these management consultancies run agencies is they know how to make the relationship as profitable as possible at, at every level. So it's that one-stop shop of agencies that are looking to potentially build. Um, now, can, let's go back on to um, yourself, your story, and, and, and a bit of Frank um, as well. Um, what do you miss about running PR firm? How long has it been since you left now? Three, three months? Um, well, I sort of, it all happened in lockdown. So I actually finished on May the 18th, so about you know, nearly a couple of months. Um, but was at home from sort of early March, really. I mean, I'm, look, I, I miss the people, as, as obvious as that sounds. And, you know, a Zoom call can only do so much. You've done, once you've done your second, third quiz, you're sick to death of them and the novelty of wearing a stupid hat and, you know, having a beer in your hand is, is pretty boring. Um, We're all Zoomed out, Andrew. That's the deal. We're all zoomed out. And actually now I love just having phone calls because it seems so retro and um, not being able to see someone's face and their unkept appearance. Um, but yeah, I miss the people and the culture and the vibe. And look, once life returns back to normal, whatever that looks like, I will be in the office. Um, not every day, but, you know, going in and out. And, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I've sort of, you know, I miss that interaction. Um, but one of, the things, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that you know, I don't want to. You never say never, I suppose. But you 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 don't seem at all likely to set up your own another PR firm. No, I don't think so. Um, I've kind of been there and done it. Not to say that I could do it again with my eyes closed, because obviously I've got the knowledge of sort of having done it before. But you know, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you can do it again. But for me now you know, what I've been doing since, Frank, is consulting agencies and helping them with their proposition, attract new clients with their new business, helping them achieve growth, profitability. And I really enjoy that. Um, it's, it's really, really rewarding to be able to use your experience of having been there, seen it, done it, worn the T-shirt, to help other agencies. I mean, actually, to date, I haven't worked with another PR agency. I've been helping social media agencies, influencer agencies, an ad agency. Um, and I've really enjoyed it because I can see what they're getting from it and I can see the results. And so for me, I think that sort of consulting route 
is more pleasurable than sort of being back in the weeds with another agency. But yeah, never say say never. And you know, I've taken on a couple of personal clients. Um, it's not an agency, but you know, essentially, I'm doing the work that an agency would do together with partners to help me deliver it. I don't want to be the one writing press releases and selling in all day long. So despite my one attempt at it this week. Um, so no, I'm kind of, it's, for me, stepping back from Frank was about pushing myself and doing different stuff. So I, I never really feel like I want to rewind and repeat a formula that I've already tried to do. And I think it'd be really hard to replicate and better Frank. You know, I'm really pleased with where it's at, what it's achieved. It just doesn't feel particularly motivating to try and do that all over again. No, I can completely understand that. Um, just going back to the story of Frank, you tried to scale it a few different times, didn't you? Because it had a really good run of growth for, I don't know, 11, 12 years to launch. Um, for, sorry, I should say from launch to, uh, let, let's say around 2011, 2012. Then it sort of plateaued a little bit and you tried a few different things to, to move it um, I suppose onto its next level of growth. So one of those was Australia, another one was the US. And some of those things worked, some of them didn't. In hindsight, what did you learn during that period? Um, I learned not to take growth for granted. And as stupid as it may sound, you know, we just started and grew every year and just uh, almost expected growth. And then we hit this point, as you said, sort of 11, 12 years in, where suddenly it started to slow down and I don't it's hard to know exactly the reason for that it could have been because we started to try other stuff and you know things like launching in America it wasn't a failure in that it was starting to make money it was probably a failure in that we took our eyes off the ball in the UK um, and, you know, quite simply, if you're trying to run an agency in different countries, it takes time and you're spreading your time thin. And who knows, had we not have tried to do that, maybe we would have continued that growth path. And we just hit a patch where with a couple of big clients that we stopped working with, we lost a couple of really good people um, and just... It felt like we'd just gone a little bit stale, a bit flat. Um, but we worked really hard to bring that back. And, you know, I think when you run an agency and you follow a formula that works, sometimes you don't step back and look at, you know, does this need a refresh? You can become a little bit introspective to the business. And when we started to see the growth begin to flatten it forced us to sit up and try something different and that's why you know for me the last couple of years especially being particularly rewarding because we're back growing again and attracted some great clients I think we've freshened up our proposition we've realized the bits that are relevant maybe more relevant than ever you know for example just talk us through that because that's I always think that for an agency to 
get momentum back is really, really hard, isn't it? Especially in, in the consumer um, sector, where there's so many other um, really good fashionable agencies. How do you get that back? Is it just about hiring people? Is it, is it, or is it a bit more subtle than that? Is it, is it, is it in the walls, so to speak? Well, we never like lost it, lost it. And actually, if you looked at the agency, one of the things with Frank, it's always been a very, very well-run business. So we were making money, you know, we were doing well, we were creating good work. And maybe it made us a little bit complacent and you can sort of believe your own hype a little bit. And no, you know, in this industry, there is a tendency for people to sort of blow smoke up your backside and there's people always saying nice things and no one's really being completely honest with you and saying, you know, you guys feel like you've lost your magic a little bit. Um, and it, you know, Graham, me, Alex, who's the managing partner, Alex Green, you know, we're incredibly driven and, you know, complacency is not a word you would associate with any one of us and we knew we weren't at our best and we just dug deep pushed harder for to do better work pushed harder to win the best clients that were out there and I think that tenacity paid off um, because going back to what I said earlier you know, if you do good work everything stems from that and I think our work was okay I don't think it was rubbish it, but it wasn't truly the best we could be. Um, so, you know, we pivot is a word that is often used probably too frequently. I don't think we pivoted, but we adapted our offering, made it as relevant as it could possibly be, made sure the work was as good as it could be, made sure we were bringing in the best people that were out there. And that, you know, started to pay off. Um, um, yeah. um, you talked about them a fair bit actually on the podcast so far, but Graham Goodkind, that relationship between the two of you has always always intrigued me a little bit because it's I guess what it is, isn't it? It's a relationship that has has defined both your careers, frankly. Um, how good of mates are you? We're good mates. I mean, it started off as a work relationship, and quite naturally, if you spend that much time with someone, you're going to develop a personal relationship. You know, I've grown up with his kids when we started Frank. He just had twins that were three months old at the time. You know, they now just celebrated their 20th birthdays. Um, know his wife, know his, you know, all his, his family. Um, but it's, I think the thing about Graham and I is we've got complementary skills and we've always recognized that where each other's sort of strengths and weaknesses are and, and how we, how we can work together to sort of almost become the complete person. And, you know, look, we get on brilliantly. I've got so much trust and respect and admiration for him. I'm very grateful for, you know, everything he's done to, to help me on my journey. And hopefully he would say the same thing about me. But, you know, as, as with any relationship, you know, you bicker you argue we're both very passionate we're fight for our cause um but we're no we're great mates you know he actually ended up buying a house three doors away from mine um much to everyone's amusement but we i think we spend so much time together in a work capacity we don't actually socialize that much because 
it would you know we're sick of the sight of one another but it's you know it's we'll always remain friends colleagues business associates whatever whatever you want to call call it you know so you live through. a couple of doors away from each other do you i didn't realize yeah, not anymore actually because i've moved but for many years i could look out my window and probably shout into his bedroom um and yeah my wife at the time was horrified when he moved in as his 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 wife was because they just they thought that was the end of them ever seeing either of us and it kind of never really happened you know i'd bump into him down the corner shop or you know walking in the park or, or whatever but actually we kept ourselves to ourselves we'd take a taxi to the PR moment awards or whatever it might be and you know share a drunken ride back together but that was about the only benefit of you know we decided early on we would both commute in separately and not kind of ride share or anything like there's you can have too much of a person we both need our own space so the 10, hours, do in the 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 10 hours in the office was enough Andrew yeah. we're always out of time I just wanted to ask you last question um what, what do you think? What sort of PR guy are you? Do you think? What, what, what do you think PR will remember you for? Oh, that's a deep question. I think if I'm remembered at all, it will be an achievement. Um, I don't know. Look, I, I like. You know what I mean? You're not. You're not. You've never tried to define yourself as a creative. You're. You're more than just a, a businessman trying who run who, who's been the the MD of Franks. So I'm just trying to work out what you see as your, you know, your 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 your, your your, your, your point of, of, of excellence, if you like? That is a really, really good question that no one has ever asked me and I don't know the answer. I, I, I think what, I've never thought about it and actually like since moving on from Frank into this sort of new stage of, of my career, it's forced me to think about what my strengths are. I think you know, I'm an all-rounder in that I have a creative element to me, but I also have that commercial edge that some PR people don't have. But actually, the thing that has probably stood me in best stead since leaving is that I'm very well connected with lots of people within the industry, outside the industry, associated with the industry. And there's a real value to that and probably a value that I've never really... A, realised or B, capitalised upon. And a lot of the work I'm doing now is just based on the fact I can put people together and make things happen. Um, whether that is interesting, unique, defining, you tell me. But um, it's hard. It's, it's, you know, I, I really have no idea. I think as long as people... Um, well, you've always got a story, it seems to me, isn't it? You know what makes a story is the other thing. Um, yeah, you know, look, that's the key to any great... PR person is you have to understand what people want to talk about, what's interesting, cut through the clutter of messages that's out there and get people to, to take notice. And I've always had that instinctively. It's, it's just been a part of, of me. I don't really have to think about that. It comes very naturally. Absolutely. Andrew Block, um, founder and I'm guessing CEO of uh, these days, Andrew Block and Associates. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network.
you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.